everyone, and welcome to episode 192 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we got a sort of light crew today. Chris Van Meter was off playing a tournament, so he's not around, but we do have Richard, owner of MTG Goldfish. What's up today, Richard? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Uh, not much. We have quite a bit to talk about today, actually. We have new standard Guilds of Ravnica officially here, so we're going to talk about the tournaments over the weekend. We had a big GP, or I guess maybe I should say Magic Fest now announcement uh, about <laughs> organized play coming up over the next year, some new promos that are being released, also fish mail, so plenty of topics to break down this week. But before we jump into that, a quick reminder that the sponsor of today's show is SpikesAcademy.com, which is the world's first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy. They got some super sweet professors doing courses there like Paula Vitor Damardorosa, a coming soon reduke to do a modern course so check them out you can get 10 percent off over at spikesacademy.com with the cold goldfish and you can learn more at spikes underscore academy on twitter so thank you to them for the support of the show and uh yeah let's jump into our topic so richard we got some new promos we just found out about this morning so what are these new judge promos that are coming out why don't you tell us about them all right we got two cards these are promos. You get them if you're a judge. And then you, you have to meet some criteria, right? Not all judges get them. Only certain level of judges. Yeah, I guess it's like a voting thing. And judges, it, it's like the exemplar program. So judges get to vote for which judges get them. And then some filter out in other ways at like conferences and stuff eventually. Yeah. So we have Lord of Atlantis, the original Lord. And we have Teferi's Protection, the Commander All-Star. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> it's like my favorite white card, like ever. It's so good. <laughs> it is, it is mine too. I've noticed it when I build a commander deck. I, if I'm playing white, I just always put it in there. It's just, it's kind of good across archetypes, and I think these are pretty good choices. Lord of Atlantis, a little weird. We already have like a uh, promo JSS MSS promo. I guess it's pretty old, and it has the original art. The new art looks really cool though. And then Teferi's Protection, since it's from a commander deck, there's no foil copies, so I expect that Teferi's Protection will probably be super expensive because these will be the only foil copies uh, on the market, at least for the time being, until it shows up in a master set or something eventually. Yeah, totally off topic, but I, I love the art for Lord of Atlantis, and it reminds me of Aquaman for some reason, and they should have <laughs> did some kind of like cross-promo with the Aquaman movie coming out. I know they'll never do this, but like, how sweet would that be? <laughs> uh, wait, 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 Seth, you don't watch MCU, do you watch DCU? <laughs> Uh, what's Aquaman, Richard? Oh my god. <laughs> I oh, really Scoops is not pleased with this turn of events. Uh, no, it does look cool. And I do know what Aquaman is, although I, I do not watch Aquaman movies normally. It's a merfolk movie. Go watch it. Uh, well, I don't even like merfolk that much. <laughs> I'm oh, more Seth. of a spirits, more of a spirits kind Seth. of guy. <laughs> all right, moving on to the next topic before this goes down any all further. Right, all right, next next topic. So we got a big announcement as far as organized play. We've been waiting with bated breath for weeks and weeks, and the schedule was kind of slow to come out this year, later than normal. But we finally got a big announcement about what organized play is going to look like, and uh, there's a bunch of things to kind of break down from it. The big thing, though, the biggest takeaway is instead of Grand Prix, uh, Grand Prix whatever, Las Vegas, we're changing the name 
of Grand Prix to Magic Fest. So we'll have Magic Fest Las Vegas or Magic Fest Weekend Las Vegas. Uh, so, Richard, what do you think about this rebranding and this renaming of GPs? Mr. Saffron Olive, can you please change the name of Magic Fest? Yeah, that. Oh my god. Okay, this was. Okay, first of all, there's a. There already is a Magic Festival called Magic Fest. And on Twitter, they thought Safford Olive was the organizer of the Wizards of the Coast Magic Fest. And they kindly asked him to consider renaming, which is hilarious. But uh, the name is just so bad. We can. We, we, we're, we're talking about a fantasy game of slinging spells and magic and dragons and angels, and the best we can come up with is Magic Fest? Like, whoa. I mean, uh, yeah, it's kind of a childish and generic name. I will, I will admit that. I don't think it's that bad. Like, I've seen some people really, like, over the top about it. Some people have also pointed out that the abbreviation is MF, so, like, MF Las Vegas, MF, and and that has other, like, abbreviated meanings as well, which are not safe for our family-friendly podcast. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they stumbled across a name that someone is already using. Like, that was very wizards of them to like i don't know if it's trademarked and in the fence of wizards it is like a european thing uh, apparently somewhere they have actual magic fest for actual like rabbit out of the hat magic uh, i it doesn't capture what the weekends are about like i understand why they're trying to do this they're trying to move gps away from being this like spiky you go here to play a tournament perception into like a celebration of magic a magic fest like you go there and you meet artists and you play some commander with your friends and you have cosplayers and maybe you play the gp too so i appreciate what they're trying to do to rebrand it in a way that's more like casual friendly instead of being the more spiky gp aspect of it whether or not magic fest was the right name to choose for the rebranding though that's that's a conversation that is probably worth having yep from the creators of Megamorph. <laughs> so Pro Tours were going to be renamed to oh my goodness. Mega Magic Fest. Well, speaking this is of Pro top Tours. comment on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Pro Tours, that was another part of this announcement is Pro Tour weekends are now going to be part of Magic Fest weekends, which will also have a GP. So uh, the example is Cleveland. This winter, there is Magic Fest Cleveland. At Magic Fest Cleveland, there will not only be Grand Prix Cleveland, there will also be Pro Tour Cleveland, uh, which is kind of cool. Like, I like that aspect of it. I was thinking of maybe going to Cleveland just to see what a Pro Tour is like, because I've never been to a Pro Tour, and Cleveland is roughly in my area, or maybe like four or five hours or something, which is not that bad. Uh, so I was considering that already, and having an actual, like, Magic Fest or GP going on, too actually makes it me a little bit more interested in it because I was worried if I just went to the pro tour like what do you really do all weekend you're not playing the pro tour everyone's gonna be super serious and like trying to win all this money and it might not be that fun but having a big GP that also has a pro tour and all the other stuff that comes along with Grand Prix or Magic Fest I think that could be a fun a fun event for people to go to wait is Cleveland having a Grand Prix at the same time as the pro tour every pro tour also has a Grand Prix, also has a Magic Fest weekend. 
that's weird. I understand the magic fest part of it, but okay. So I guess as a pro, you you get to choose which event you go to, right? Also, it's probably like the best GP if you're trying to like qualify or win because all the pros are going to be in the pro tour. So yep. so the level of competition might be a little bit lower than normal. Yep. Uh, so. What else? Uh, what else did we learn from this announcement? So, uh, other pieces of it, uh, they announced an entire year's worth of uh, Grand Prix. It's similar to what we've had in the past. I think overall a slight reduction, uh, a somewhat slight reduction in non-North American GPs, which people were talking about, but roughly the same amount, 49 Grand Prix, I think, in 2019. They're not announcing the formats ahead of time, though, like they used to. Instead, they're announcing every quarter the formats for that quarter. So we know the formats for the first three months of 2019, and then come January, they will announce like the quarter order two uh, formats for the Grand Prix. They're also redoing the qualifications for Pro Tours, uh, going back to something similar to the old PTQ system, where you don't have to go to a PPTQ and then into a PTQ. Instead, there's just like one event where if you do well in that or win that, then you qualify for the Pro Tour. What do you make of the rest of this announcement beyond the headline of the Magic Fest hashtag and debacle? Yeah, so the biggest complaint I've heard is people outside of the United States. They've had their uh, events reduced. A lot of people are saying, oh, you know, it's no longer viable to play Pro Magic because they reduced my Grand Prix down to two, uh, to the specific city. Uh, and I think that's bad. Like, I, I don't know why WotC keeps centralizing Grand Prix in the United States. I understand this is their largest base, uh, but they've already had Grand Prix in other places. I don't know why they need to kind of reduce them or shuffle them around. Uh, but it, it kind of sucks because, you know, we've heard pros say this before. If you want to be a pro, if you're a pro outside the United States, you start with a huge handicap. And uh, being on the West Coast, I already get this quote-unquote handicap. Everything in the United States is held on the East Coast. Now, I can't imagine being literally halfway around the world and, you know, not getting any events and you have to fly, get a visa, deal with exchange rates. It is just significantly, significantly harder. So uh, maybe, hopefully, the year after, you know, they're starting to keep events within regions uh you know you mentioned with your qualifiers qualifying you for a pro tour in your region uh maybe they're gonna focus more on these events and not force people to fly cross countries and get visas and things to just compete at a high level of magic yeah that's a possibility and they were very clear that this is a transition year and that we're kind of seeing like the start of what they're trying to do with organized play and that uh, 2020 will kind of be the big payoff year where we really see the system that they're trying to implement. So it might be partly that this is uh, things just kind of like getting set up for the future and what they're trying to do uh, long term with organized play and the GP system. And uh, I don't know what to say to people outside of the United States. It is definitely a or outside of North America, I guess, but it definitely is a pretty major handicap. And this GP schedule did not take any steps to improve it and if anything made it somewhat worse but like you said maybe this is the growing pains of where wizards is is trying to get with the organized play system uh 
Otherwise, we still got to wait and see on a lot of stuff, uh, how this new system actually works out in practice with, like, qualifying. I saw some grumbling from pros about having GPs at Pro Tours, and they dislike that it'll be this big festival atmosphere when Pro Tours tend to be kind of a, a somber and serious magic event a lot of the time, at least compared to uh, to Grand Prix and so forth. <laughs> what a complaint. It'll be too festive and fun. We can't have this. Uh, I was wondering if they were going to try to implement any digital aspects into organized play next year, uh, like Magic Arena, most specifically. And that was a FAQ that came up, and I was kind of surprised at their answer, which was, that they don't have any plans at this point to have qualifiers or anything on Magic Arena. That doesn't mean it couldn't happen. They always uh, always make sure that they answer that way. Like, who knows what the future holds, but there's no current plans to have qualifiers on Magic Arena. Magic Online will still have uh, some PTQs, roughly the same as it has been before. Were you surprised at all by that, Richard, or is it just too premature to expect that to be happening? A very bad answer for fans of Arena. Uh, the, the wishy-washy answer would be, yeah, we're planning something. Look forward to it. You know, we have no details whatsoever, but they just straight up said no. So that is a problem because if you want people to play Arena, uh, you know, you need some high stakes matches. So maybe their plan is not to hold these, uh, in conjunction or at Grand Prix and Pro Tours, but have their own circuit. Uh, so that would be a way to get out of this, you know, backtrack out of this answer. But I imagine that if we don't see, you know, high level play for exclusively online players in a year or two, like I don't see how this is a serious game because even Hearthstone has things like this. So I, I don't see why you can't incorporate these events into an already, you know, physical gathering of magic players. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, because it seems really easy to just be like, oh, like, we just went to open beta, it's premature to actually do that, we're still, like, improving the client, but, like, long term, we're going to have something like that. So I was surprised that they didn't give a more positive-sounding answer to that question, so I guess we'll see. As far as the GP schedule itself, kind of the big ones, Vegas this year is the end of August, which I think they, what was it this year, June or something? And they are, are we finally not going at the same time as EDC or whatever and like tripling our hotel prices? I, I think maybe we're dodging EDC, but it's probably even hotter, I assume, like mid August. That's gotta be like peak heat in Vegas. Does it so. even matter any like <laughs> above hundred ten? Like does it matter if it's one twenty or one fifty? Uh, I, I guess I guess that is a good point. Also, uh, the first half of the schedule, I was a little surprised how heavily it is weighted towards modern. It almost seems like with Wizards is taking a page from the SCG playbook when SCG kind of focused their entire tour on modern and team events. Uh, We only have the first three months as far as formats, but there's only two standard events, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven modern events with some limited events thrown in between. So that was a little bit surprising to me to see the focus shifting away, even though we have a set release during that time. We have uh, the second part of Guilds of Ravnica or Ravnica Alliance's coming out in the end of January, I think, or the beginning of February, and there's just not really tournament support for that, which I found that to be a little bit surprising. Yeah, uh, people like modern, so I guess Watsi took that into account and 
we're gonna have a lot of modern events next year which i mean i think is good for viewers like modern events do really well as far as viewership people like playing modern uh, it is the people's format also no team events so uh, whether or not that means they're not gonna have team events uh or we just haven't seen them yet because we only have the first part of the schedule but still we had a lot of team events this year and it seems like that might be slowing down a little bit too Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, any other thoughts on this GP slash Magic Fest slash organized play announcement, Richard? Uh, no, I, I, even though we make fun of the name Magic Fest, I do like that they recognize that a lot of people go to Grand Prix and don't necessarily compete in the main events. So the fact that it's now an official thing bodes well. Uh, look forward to getting charged to go to Magic Fest, I, I assume they're going to do this eventually, right? Because the, the prize support is not there. If everyone's showing up and not actually playing in the Grand Prix, they're not making money. So I expect eventually you have to pay money, and I hope it's, you know, something like five bucks as opposed to 25 bucks. Uh, and that would be a way to kind of make these Magic conventions, you know, mini conventions big and exciting right like now you're not just gonna have some art and some cosplayers you can have full-blown events going and various things you can do so it it's an exciting time maybe they change the name again i don't know magic fest magic fest cleveland is not fun hey bob where are you going this weekend <laughs> oh i'm going to magic fest <laughs> i'm like oh are you gonna do some tricks let me see your best trick i'm like oh my god <laughs> The the good news is the GPs are still there. So if you are not a fan of the Magic Fest name, you can still just say, I'm going to GP Cleveland, and that's still correct. Uh, that still is the thing that you're going to. So so use the one that you're most comfortable with. Um, I think they should charge entry fees as well and use that to make the fest even more festive and add more yep. things to it. And, and it doesn't have to be a huge amount, but I think with how much – we always hear about them having to, like, cap events – because of how expensive it is to get space. Like, it's just, in some of these cities, it costs a lot to rent a room. And if you're going to go the festival route and try to get people to go there for not playing in the GP, it only makes sense to charge some sort of, like, token entry fee, $5, $10, some low amount, and, and use that money to reinvest and make the events even better and more of, like, an attraction. So hopefully we get to that point in the future. As far as the name, eh. I don't know. I, I'm not as down on it as everyone else is. I can see that it does not, uh, sound kind of silly, but I'm just going to keep saying Grand Prix probably and just not use Magic Fest that often. I'm just going to Cleveland, period. <laughs> I'm going to, yes. <laughs> yes, nothing to do with Magic. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Speaking of the tournament scene, this was week one of Guilds of Ravnica, and it's a little bit awkward because uh, Wizards ran a limited GP, SCG ran a team event, so we didn't have one huge standard event to kind of kick off Guilds of Ravnica season, but we still got a bunch of deck lists. There was a SCG Classic. They did focus coverage at the SCG event on standard quite a bit, so we got to see a lot of it on camera. So, Richard, what are we making of Guilds of Ravnica as far as tournament magic is concerned? All right. Um, we saw a lot of decks, as to be expected, with the big rotation happening. So let's let's talk some decks. Uh, we'll go over some decks, loosely describe them, and then uh, discuss. So Chris Van Meter was at the Open, or at the team event, and he played Selesnya Tokens, and he is not here because he is flying back. So... Uh, Seth and I will talk about Celestia tokens and do our CVM interpretation of it, but it's basically, uh, a token deck. Uh, you have things like Amara, Sapperling Migration, 
Shalai, Venerated Loxodon, Tristani, and uh, one of the key cards, Flower Flourish, which is the split card that lets you either search for a land or give you a mini overrun, just a plus two, plus two for all your creatures, and March of the Multitudes, our Slezda Sphinx's Revelation. Uh, so Slezia Tokens was all over the place, it looked pretty impressive, uh, especially when you do things like end of turn, march of multitudes, untap, flourish, and alpha strike for a billion, lifelink. Uh, what do you think? What do you think of the deck? Does it look strong? We saw it a lot this weekend on camera. Yeah, I think that Lesnia Tokens is definitely legit. Even apart from CVM putting up a good finish, the finals actually came down to a Lesnia Tokens mirror. And so the deck definitely has some legs and it looks pretty powerful. I think it's interesting that three different players came up with fairly similar decks. They're not exactly the same. There's some small things like Thorn Lieutenant is something that's kind of debated. Some people are playing Thorn Lieutenant. Some people are not. There's a few random one-ofs, but the core of the deck, which is pretty much the Flower Flourish, which basically counts as a land, so it's kind of a free roll. The good token producers in History of Benalia, Sapperling Migration, and then March of the Multitudes is a finisher. There's definitely something there, and maybe the most impressive part of this is Mono Red is still a pretty popular deck. We we haven't talked about it yet, but there was a lot of mono red running around, which means there's a lot of decks that are playing four main deck Goblin Chain Whirlers, and that was my concern looking at tokens on paper. Like, you're playing all these 1-1s. Are you just going to get blown out by Chain Whirler? And apparently that's not the case, because Selesnya was able to fight through a field with a ton of Goblin Chain Whirler decks and still post really good finishes. Yeah, Venerated Loxodon helps you keep your tokens alive. Uh, you also have History of Venalia. Your tokens are actually bigger than 1-1s. One and a lot of times, you don't just pump out little tokens. Like, it's kind of like you do a mid-rangey thing, and then all of a sudden, you kick a sapling migration, and then you flourish and you win. So there's not this, like, slow buildup where you just get wrecked by a turn 3 chain roller. So it really felt resilient and, uh, you know... Shalai also helps you pump your tokens. So it is not like an all-in token strategy. It's like mid-rangey with like a token sub-theme or something I would I would put it at. Yeah, it, it kind of is green-white mid-range with March of the Multitudes as a finisher. And March of the Multitudes, boy, that got, uh, that card is insane. It is yeah. just such a good finisher. Uh, being instant speed, we saw a lot of times people making eight tokens, ten tokens, and the thing that makes it even crazier is if somehow that's not good enough, then you can use all those tokens to convoke out an even bigger second copy that's just making so many tokens. So the first one often wins the game, and the second one almost always wins the game. So if you're playing standard, I would definitely look towards having an answer to that. I think the best one right now is Fiery Cannonade, which gives you an instant speed pyroclasm, basically. But definitely have a plan for dealing with March of Multitudes in mind, because if not, it is it, it gets around all the normal removal. Your Veraska's Contempts and Ixalan's Bindings and all those target removal spells just don't do much in the face of March of Multitudes. Yep, the classic Sphinx's Revelation into Sphinx's Revelation <laughs> is usually, <laughs> usually good enough. <laughs> All right, we have Mono Red Aggro. So Mono Red was, I would say, one of the other big decks that we saw. It's playing Fanatical Firebrand, Gitu Lava Runner. Okay, we know these cards. Runaway Steamkin. Goblin Chain Roller, Rekindling Phoenix. 
a bunch of burn, shock, lightning strikes, wizard's lightning, and then some spicy cards, risk factor, and experimental frenzy. Yeah, so red is still here. It has not gone away. And the thing that is most interesting to me about the red decks is people are really trying to figure out the card advantage slot. Like, the shell of the deck, the good creatures, the good burn spells... All the red decks have that in common, but you're seeing a really weird mixture of some people going very heavily on Experimental Frenzy as kind of like their big card advantage engine, other people going really heavily on the Flame of Keld to kind of fill the same role, and then people also kind of experimenting with some number of risk factors. Some people are playing four, some people are only playing a couple. So I feel like the red deck, it's obviously good because it put a ton of people into the top top eight, top 32, like it was a very good deck, but I feel like people are still kind of ironing out the exact 75. And once people figure out like, should you be playing flame of Keld? Should you be playing experimental frenzy? Uh, what is the exact mix of burn spells that you need? Uh, do you go bigger with rekindling phoenixes? If so, how many do you play? Once people nail down that final list, the red deck's going to be very scary. Yeah, I was really impressed by Risk Factor. So usually these Punisher mechanic cards are usually not too good, but having your opponent take 4 damage with the ability to jumpstart it uh, is 8 damage out of a single card. I guess 2 cards for you know whatever you jumpstart, but that's usually an extra land. And if they don't want to do that, you get to draw 3 cards, if not 6, and then the rest of your burn will finish them off. So Risk Factor looks like the real deal. Uh, experimental frenzy was crazy if you can ever resolve it the problem is it's hard to resolve but if you resolve it you can keep just playing stuff off the top of your deck and then when your hand is full you can just destroy it yourself but usually your opponent will do it for you because in that state you're just gaining so much advantage they just cannot afford to keep the experimental frenzy around so these cards give the red decks a lot of reach and the ability to go super long which uh, I guess there's a continuing trend with things like Beaumont Courier in the last format. These red decks don't fizzle out by turns 5 or 6 anymore. They just keep going and going and going, and that's quite a scary thought. And also, while we're talking about new cards, Runaway Steamkin is really good. That's just an incredibly powerful 2-drop. Uh, we've seen people like kind of messing around and trying it in Modern in some decks, but in Standard, uh, it's so explosive where you can play it on turn 2, cast a couple of spells over the next turn or two, and then you're going to have a really explosive turn where you kind of get like a free Goblin Chain Whirler. You attack with your 4-4, post-combat you can use that mana for a Chain Whirler or Experimental Frenzy. Uh, it combos really well with Experimental Frenzy because you're playing all these cards off the top of your deck, which is pumping your Runaway Steamkin, and then you can use the mana from Steamkin to play even more cards off the top of your deck. So I've been very impressed with Runaway Steamkin as well. So I'm a little scared. Personally, I was kind of hoping that uh, Red would be on a bit of a down swing in our new standard format, but it seems like, uh, we don't know if it'll be the best deck, but it, it definitely is a legit deck at this point in our new format. Yeah, it's a relatively cheap deck for arena players. A uh, handful of mythics, usually Rekindling Phoenix. The rest are just rares, uncommons, and commons too. So, uh, Mono Red, always a good, <laughs> good cheap entry point. Speaking of uh, good cheap entry points, I don't know if you saw in the classic... There was like a, a $40 deck that was in the top eight. It was a mono blue is sort of becoming a thing in standard now with rotation. $41 actually put one player into eighth place and another into 10th place with this $40 blue deck. So have you seen this deck, Richard? 
Uh, I have not. I'm looking at it right now. Seth is not lying. It is 11 ticks online, $44, (laughs) six rares. Did this come from our $30 casual dex article, Seth? Mono blue aggro. It looks like it could have. Anchored by Tempest Dejin. That's the... The gets plus one plus oh for each basic island you control, and then just a bunch of blue weenies. This is not how you play blue, Seth. No, <laughs> and also it's definitely worth mentioning this one for Magic Arena because literally, at least in some of these builds, the only rare is Tempest Gin. You're playing 100% commons and uncommons, so if you're looking for, like, a cheap starter deck for Arena that is also apparently pretty competitive, because people just top-aided a big tournament with it, this is probably one of the best starting points for that. I mean, we'll see, like, if it has legs once people are prepared for it. Is it going to still remain a top-tier deck? But for right now, seems like a really good ultra-budget option. Alright, moving... uh... Uh, back to the other end of the spectrum. I heard you like Mythics. Boros Angels. Lots and lots. So this this deck actually uh, took down the Classic. And then there were a bunch of decks we saw all weekend in the team constructed. Uh, different builds of it, but basically you're anchored by Lyra, Aurelia, Shalai. And those are your three angels. Also and, Resplendent. Uh, Resplendent Angel as well. Resplendent Angel and... Uh, people don't realize this, but Lyra gives your other angels plus one plus one and lifelink, which conveniently turns on your resplendent angel. And you just play stuff, so you play, you play things to stay alive, like history of Vinalia, maybe some knights, uh, different builds play different things, and then you, you top out with your big angels, and, uh, they're really hard to deal with. They're just big, <laughs> <laughs> they're just big, scary angels. Big, you, you just can't deal with them, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think this is a deck where it's not really so much about any synergy. It's probably one of the least... I mean, I guess Lyra is kind of a lord, so you get some some synergy there in some sense. But really, this is a deck that's just all about raw power. You're just, after you get to turn three, you're just slamming a really powerful, evasive, mythic rare for the most part every single turn of the game, and you're just like, all right, like, can you deal with Respondent Angel into Aurelia, into Lyra, maybe a Shalai for some protection? You even have History of Benalia just to, like, clog up the ground. So this is a deck that I think the power level is really high. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, when in doubt, playing really powerful magic cards every single turn seems like a pretty good recipe for success why everyone else is trying to figure out like how to abuse surveil or like the undergrowth getting things in your graveyard these more like synergistic based decks sometimes just raw power wins the day yeah uh anything that play (laughs) you're playing four lyras that's a five drop mythic legendary so that's how good that card is if you're actually just maxing out on lyras and every time it was dropped it looked impressive Actually, I lied. Yeah. No, sometimes it just randomly died <laughs> to, like, Ravenous Chupacabra. But against, like, uh, decks that don't have too much removal, this thing, this thing was a brick wall. And I mean, it's pretty good with red being heavily played. Like, Lyra is just so important and so good in that matchup. And a lot of their removal, uh, has trouble dealing with it. So it seems like it's in a pretty good place in the metagame as well. All right. Moving on. Uh, to fairy based control decks are still here, Seth. Is this news? <laughs> we have Esper Control. Uh, so basically, it's splashing basically white for, for, uh, to fairy. Jonathan Rosam's model had Chromium as a finisher. We haven't really seen too much Chromium, but basically you're playing, uh, Ritual of Suit, which is a four mana sweeper, destroy all creatures converted mana cost three or less. 
Uh, and then you're playing a bunch of removal that gains life. So Vraska's Contempt, Sinister Craving, or Mo- Moment of <laughs> Craving, Sinister Sabotage, Essence Scatter, Disdainful Strokes, Cast Down, Syncopate. So super prepared for creature decks. Handful of Counterspells, lots of removal that gains life. Teferi, and once you get Teferi down and you're stabilized, you should be good to go. Yeah, we've... I mean... Teferi is still a very powerful card. It still might be the most powerful card in our standard format. It suffers a little bit from the guilds that are good with Teferi not really being supported. I'm petrified of how good Teferi will be this winter once we have Orzov and also Azorius. Like, the two kind of, like, white control-based guilds. So then I think Teferi is going to be super scary. For right now, we're mostly seeing people trying to figure out what the right Teferi shell is. You talked about the Esper control deck, which you definitely get some sweet options. Ritual of Soot is a really good sweeper. You get the black removal spells. We also had a Jeskai control deck do pretty well at the team open. Uh, just missing out on top 8, but if you go into Jeskai, you get the red removal. You get Deafening Clarion is kind of your sweeper. Uh, you get Rowl as a additional Planeswalker. So it's going to be interesting to see. Like, People know that Teferi is still good, but I don't think anyone knows the right control shell to really harness the power as we wait for Azorius to come this winter in Ravnica alliances. Well, we also have Salt-Eye Control, which says, forget Teferi, I'm playing <laughs> Karn, Vraska, Thief of Sanity, Doom Whisperer. Uh, so it's really a blue-black control deck splashing some green. Uh, but that was another take on control. And then kind of your instants are basically all the same, like Moment of Craving, Essence Scatter, Cast Down, things like that. Fungal Infection, I thought was an interesting card that people were playing. Uh, it gives something minus one, minus one, and then you get a, a sapling token out of the deal. So that's an interesting inclusion. And Treasure Map uh, was one of the card advantage engines as well. So we've seen basically Demir in these control decks. We've seen uh, Red being good. We talked about the Boros Angels deck. We talked about Selesnia tokens. Uh, what about the rest of the guilds? Do we see any Golgari at these tournaments, Richard? Some Golgari midrange, uh, but it, it turns out that almost everyone was working around Assassin's Trophy. So a lot of the decks you see that did well don't really care about Assassin's Trophy. So Golgari, I think, was not you know as good as you would expect it to be because Assassin's Trophy was just not that good. But having said that, uh, a bunch of mid-range decks running, let's see, we have the 8th place list from Ian Allman, we got Burglar Rats, Merfolk Branchwalkers, <laughs> District Guides, <laughs> Jade Light Ranger, Thrashing Brontodon, uh, Ravenous Chupacabras, and Izonis, three Izonis, and then you have a suite of Planeswalkers, Vraska, Vivian Reed, and Vraska. So both Golgari Queen and Relic Seeker. And then yeah. Fine Finality is also a very important part of this deck. And then another one we've seen in the ninth place list, going with Dryad Green Seeker, probably the, the best uncommon from M19 Limited. The two mana just like taps to draw you a card if the top card of your library is a land. So we see sub decks going that direction too. And I feel like Golgari is a guild that's definitely really powerful, but it's harder to build than the other ones. Like Boros, you just slam these big angels and things are going to go well. If you're playing, uh, some of the, uh, if you're playing Demir, you're going the control route and playing like maybe Teferi splashing that or splashing into another color, but you're basically control shell. Golgari, on the other hand, takes a little bit more tuning to really get the mixture right. Uh, but I feel like it's a guild that once people figure it out, it will end up being pretty good. On the other hand, 
I haven't seen a single is it deck, Richard. I've been looking through all the results. Do we have any sign? I guess Jeskai Control is like sort of is it based, but there's there's no is it to speak of here. Yeah, uh, no, no div visit present. Uh, yeah, no is it whatsoever. Looks like most players are preferring Zamir as their kind of spell slinging colors. Yeah, that's a little disappointing. Uh, I was excited for Niv-Mizzet. I guess we see people, like, splashing Nicole Bolas and some Grixis shells, but even those are, like, more Demir-based, just splashing a little bit of red. But maybe that's another one that will people will figure out eventually, or maybe uh, eventually we'll get the winner sets, we'll have Azorius, which will probably be control-based, and then maybe Jeskai Control will be able to go that direction and play some Niv-Mizzets. I guess there is there is one. Sixth place in the Classic, it's listed as Jeskai Control, but this is actually more of an Izzet deck. It's playing Crackling Drakes and Niv-Mizzet Perun. So even though it's listed as Jeskai Control, it's kind of a little bit more on the is it side so i guess that kind of fills the is it niche but i think is it is probably the worst performing of the guilds on week one yeah uh what about cards we didn't see nullhide ferox four mana six six hexproof mono green was surprisingly absent i was really expecting to see a lot of mono green, especially right on week one, and I was hearing people talking about it and how good it was, but then I don't see it really showing up at all, so I was a little bit surprised by that. We also didn't see uh, like much Lazav action, uh, a lot of the other mythics, Underrealm Lich, I guess that's more of a long shot, uh, so we didn't really see anything super crazy, but it might just be that these kind of more interesting and unique mythics uh, in rares as well are going to take a little bit longer for people to figure out how to actually make them work in standard if they ever do so richard uh have you been playing standard at all nope no and i'll tell you why seth <laughs> i'm too scared of using my wild cards on magic <laughs> arena <laughs> because once you build a deck you're locked in so until the metagame shakes up uh, but maybe we have some safe cards like history of Vanalia has been like literally everywhere you can you know, you're playing a white deck, it's like a shoe-in, right? Or you can make Teferis if you like control. But yeah, it's a little scary right now to build a deck in Arena because you don't know how the meta will shake up. And once you build a deck, that's it. You kind of just used all your wild cards and you're all in. So if your deck is not good or you don't you know, like to play it, uh, it might be a problem. So what I might actually do is go on Magic Online, <laughs> test some decks. And then if I like a deck, I'll go build it on Arena. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally backwards. Wizards, oh. please. <laughs> so so if you were going to build a standard deck, what deck would you be building after these week one results? I actually really like Mono Red. I like Mono Red and Boros. I, I, I just love the idea of going long with these decks that aren't supposed to go long. So the the Punisher style cards in red, it just it just looks so fun. It's like you're basically casting Ancestral Recall if your opponent doesn't <laughs> want to take four. And four damage off one card that can be flashback in standard is no joke, right? Like, that's eight damage off a single card if they don't want to let you draw anything. So that looks very exciting to me. Yeah, Risk Factor is really good. I, I will admit, I, I kind of laughed at it and scoffed at it. But if you could build a deck that can pressure your opponent like these red decks can, it is... Uh, it's one of the cards I'm most scared of from that deck because uh, there's really no good option. Like, if your opponent's attacking your life total, uh, sure, you can take four, but then that's a lot of damage and you're probably going to die. But if you let your opponent draw, they're probably
probably drawing at least four damage worth of cards because their deck is just overloaded with damage, and then they can over uh, or. I was going to say aftermath it, but then they can uh, jumpstart <laughs> jump it, jumpstart it from their graveyard to do it again. So that's a card that's just really petrifying if you're playing a slower deck and you run into the red deck. Also, you got to try the experimental frenzy deck, Richard. You got to try. It. There's a build. It did show up uh, on any of these top lists or in the top eight anywhere, but it's a build that's been performing on Magic Online, and you're playing things like Treasure Map and Dismissive Pyromancer to go along with Experimental Frenzy, so you can scry away your extra lands, and you have your Runaway Steamkins to make mana, so it's kind of like a red deck, but it's also sort of like a combo deck where you can play like ten cards in a turn, and then use your Experimental, uh, your Flamekin mana to kick a fight with fire at your opponent's face, (laughs) so if you like red decks that are like drawing a million cards you've got to give it a try because it's really really fun i like it i like it well we will uh talk some more standard next week i will be excited chris van meter is traveling back from gp columbus as we speak but uh, we'll have to ask chris about his experiences when he gets back next week in the meantime uh do we have anything else or is it fish mail time nope that's it so let's move on to fishmail. So if you have questions, you can send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. All right, first question. P. Vander Zwan. Any thoughts on the differences on how Watsi has been supporting pro players? Uh, so no publicity, no publicities, spelling the world's champion the world's champion's name wrong uh, versus Riot so League of Legends specifically made music video featuring their popular featuring popular artists and their pros including making action figures for their pros what do you think Seth? Do you, do you actually know what happened with League of Legends? It's actually pretty interesting uh, I am not why don't you tell tell me what happened in League of Legends? So right now it's their big annual tournament international tournament so think I don't know world world championship but actually a real world championship like think super bowl i guess and uh to promote it they make a music video every year so they get popular artists to make you know a specific song and they make a music video and they make an animation to go at the music video and it always features uh the pro players in the tournament and then this year uh they made figures of the pros and sent them out to the pros and one would assume they would sell these later but basically all the pros or at least you know the top pros got a figure of themselves kind of like a stylized cartoon figure of themselves that was from this music video interesting well i wish wizards would do more of that i'm not super familiar with how how league of legends does it i wish wizards would do more of it richard uh, do you think it's a money thing like league of legends it's uh, in a whole nother league, right? As far as like esports and how much money they bring in compared to Magic. Like, do you think it's just that they have more money so they can do this cool stuff? Or is it Wizards just not embracing the pro community to the extent that they should? I mean, part of it is they have more money, but they have more money because they invested in this, right? Like, there's a reason why it's a big esport and not like one of, you know, thousands of other games we have in the pool, right? They invested a lot into their esports aspect and now it's paying off and they can kind of snowball this advantage it's like they cast rampant growth like five turns ago (laughs) and now here they are right you can't complain about it so yeah i don't know but watching league of legends like you know all the pros watching magic it's not it's not really advertised but league of legends is not actually selling pro players they're selling a game right it's a free-to-play game and they're trying to sell stuff so they managed to sell both a product and 
people and a story at the same time. So I would like to see Wizards do that, right? Like Wizards has to sell cards, I understand that. But why can't they sell both at the same time? Other games and other tournaments have done so successfully. I mean, it's obviously unacceptable to be spelling world championship contestants' names wrong and stuff. Like that's that's not a money thing. Like you should <laughs> you should be able to figure that out, no matter how much money your company is making. So I feel like Wizards has a long way to go. And, and even in the Magic world, uh, we've talked about this before, but Star City Games does a really good job of selling their version of pros, like the people that are doing well on the SCG circuit, way more so than Wizards does. And uh, Wizards got to make more than Star City Games, like, have more money to invest in that. So I feel like money can't be the only answer. Like, sure, maybe we can't hire whatever, like, top 40 artists to do our songs for Magic or whatever. Maybe that's not practical, but there's definitely a long way that Wizards could go towards that. And maybe with all the Jerry Thompson stuff and the protest and this being a big conversation now, maybe we'll get there. Like, I'm holding out some amount of hope that things will improve there. We we do need a hype video for, like, the Pro Tour and things like that, though. And I'm not talking about, you know, Wizards, Guilds of Ravnica animation short. I mean, like, Patrick Chapin rapping hype video. <laughs> like, we gotta bring back that stuff. <laughs> I'm down. Alright, Legendary Hero 7. Seth, when you scoop early, is it because you don't want to sit there and play it out? Or because you don't want to have viewers sit there and watch? If the former, why not pull out your phone? If the latter, why not edit that part out? Uh, so, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> there's, there's sometimes where I've just, where I know that the game's over and I don't feel like playing for the 1% chance, but I also feel like when you see eggs combos in some of these decks that are very boring and repetitive, I don't feel like it makes good t- content for people to sit through, and I feel like editing it out is sort of awkward. There's there's weirdness with editing things out. Uh, I am okay with it in some circumstances, but I've definitely gotten some feedback from people where if you cut out actual gameplay and things happening some people dislike that or feel like you're trying to like hide something and it's a very weird topic so i don't know uh let me know what you think maybe i should just play it out all the time even if it's boring i I don't know it's a weird topic to me and i don't know the right way to handle it all right baron morath can iroas make mentor amazing and modern Um, we're not talking about the god iroas right i'm pretty sure we're talking about the god uh, no, we're talking I, about the champion. The three mana two two double strike? Champion the, of Aroas' champion, but that doesn't seem that good. Aroas got a victory. I but think it's it, because so Aroas got a victory, uh basically gives all your creatures menace, and then it prevents all damage that would be dealt to attacking creatures. So you can swing and mentor, and even if your opponent blocks, like, no big deal because your uh your stuff uh has the damage prevented from it. I don't know if the mentor cards are good enough. I think that's the problem. In standard, the mentor cards are pretty good. But in modern, you got goblin guides, you have monastery swift spears, you have so many efficient aggro cards that my guess would be that a mentor deck would probably just be a less efficient version of some of the decks that we already have in modern. Yeah, swinging like a 2-2, making it a 3-3 by mentoring and slamming into a death shadow like doesn't get you anywhere (laughs) so the creatures are just thoroughly outclassed so the fact that they're indestructible doesn't really help you that much uh next question cannonball skunk was shocked to see kaladesh and amaket gone from arena now that guilds is rotated 
While gems have been refunded after the wipe, it still concerns me regarding future rotations once wipes are done. Is it unreasonable to be concerned about spending real money? No. I don't think it's unreasonable. While I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was actually quite shocked that they removed Kaladesh and Omnicat, like, straight up from Arena. I thought, you know, they're not standard legal fine, but they would keep the cards around for, I don't know, whatever random events they make, right? Or, you know, they can start their their postmodern format or whatever, but they actually just removed the cards from the client for the time being. So that was very weird, because... I wonder if when they bring back Momir, are you going to have Kaladesh and Amakat cards? Are they going to come back now? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think Wizards will figure something out. How good the rotation solution will be, that remains to be seen. So I have confidence they'll do something. But for me, if I didn't need cards for making content, which puts me in kind of like a weird scenario, I wouldn't spend my own money. I would just free-to-play on Arena right now as I waited to see what they're going to do about the fifth card thing, which is still kind of a pretty major issue, and what they're going to do about rotation. Because my fear is their solution is going to be, well, like here we have an arena modern format, which they should do that. And there should be an arena modern format, but I don't think that can be the only solution because the sad truth of it is a very tiny percentage of standard cards are actually playable in older formats. So if it's just like, okay, here's arena modern, most of your cards are still going to lose all their value and be completely unplayable once rotation happens. So I would just free to play personally, maybe get like the welcome bundle, which is a really good deal, but I would at least minimize my real money spending until we get solid answers to some of those things. This is perfect segue because our next question from Dysomian C is what is the fifth card problem? So the fifth card problem is basically right now on Magic Arena, you can only have four copies of a card in your collection. So once you have a playset of Teferi, you open a Teferi in a booster pack as an individual card reward, wherever, it just kind of disappears into the ether. And right now the ether is called the Vault, which is this little treasure chest that you can't see until it's full. The problem, though, is uh, to fill your Vault, which rewards you with, I think, one Mythic, two Rare, and three Uncommon Wild cards, something like that. But to fill your vault, it's got to get to 100%, and in a fifth copy of a Mythic Rare adds 1.1%, I believe, to the vault. And then rares are even lower than that. Commons, uncommons, lower still. Uh, so basically on Arena, you would have to open 90 extra Mythic Rares to fill your vault, when on Hearthstone, for example, you can trade four Mythic Rares for essentially the Hearthstone's version of a Mythic Wild card. You can get any Mythic you want for that. So the problem isn't so much that the fifth copies go away, but the rate which Wizards compensates you for these extra cards in, in this vault increasing is just really, really low compared to the other games that are comparable. All right. Uh, next question. Affinity for blue. Let's say I open Arena for the first time and I want to build blue-white control. What's the quickest way to do it? Assume I know nothing about the Arena economy. Ooh. Well. Uh, spend money. <laughs> The quickest yeah. way is to spend $100, buy gems, and then uh, you buy their biggest booster bundle uh, with those gems, which I think you would use like $90 worth, and that guarantees you a certain number of wild cards, and you use those wild cards and anything you open to build a deck. And usually $100 uh, will build you a deck, depending on how many mythics are in that deck, but usually that that is a pretty good... Uh, proxy like a hundred dollars is a deck 
Yeah, I think that's that's roughly true. If it's an expensive deck, you might be a little short. If it's a cheap deck, you'll probably have some leftovers. But that's a that's a pretty good estimate. And yeah, that's really the only way to do it. There's not really a way to buy singles or uh, get a deck like you would in paper on Magic Online. So that is uh, that is basically the way to go. The other option is to just play a bunch of matches and try to earn your cards that way. And if you're decent at limited, I think that's the easiest way to grow a collection because if you can uh, perform reasonably well, you keep getting your entry fee back, plus you're getting all the cards you open in the draft, and you're getting some number of reward packs. So I feel like that's maybe the best way to do it, assuming you can win a reasonable amount of time at limited. If you're horrible and just learning limited and you're going to lose every round, probably don't try to do that. Just play for fun. But if you're good at limited and have some extra time on your hands, I think that's another good path. All right. Tom Paget. Is R&D on a crusade to drive Tron out of modern tier 1? Over the past year, we've had Alpine Moon, Field of Ruin, Damping Sphere, Unmoored Ego, and Assassin's Trophy. That's an insane amount of Tron hate. Well... In defense of some of those cards, like Assassin's Trophy, I don't know if it's fair to just characterize it as Tron hate. Like, it does hate on Tron, but I don't consider it a hate card in the same way that something like Alpine Moon would be, which is pretty specifically targeted at something like Tron, a very narrow subset of cards. But I think that people complain a lot about Tron, and Tron has been one of the best decks for a long time, and... Uh, I feel like trying to print cards to answer it is probably better than banning cards if you can go that direction. So I feel like Wizards has heard people grumbling about Tron and is trying to power down Tron enough that it doesn't get to the point where there would have to be a banning eventually. I'm waiting for a new seven mana colorless card. That's <sighs> better than card. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Tron has gotten some help, right? They got, got Ugin. Yeah. I mean, that's and about it. <laughs> also got a lot of Eldrazi stuff, like Thought yeah. Not Seers show up, World Breaker shows up. So it got a lot of stuff from our return to Zendikar a little while ago, too. Just got to wait for the next Eldrazi or Colorless set. <laughs> uh, next question. Bona, you talked about Arena replacing Moto at some point. How do you think Wizards would go about phasing out Moto? It probably has millions of dollars in digital cards within its economy. How can modern legacy vintage exist in today's Arena economy? I think uh, they would just turn it off the way they turned off Duels of the Planeswalker. I think they would say, yeah, okay, Arena now supports all this stuff. Arena is our future. Uh, six months from now, we're turning off Magic Online. Have at it. Ah, man. Do you the think they would compensate would everyone? Severe. No, but I, I think they would wait till, a re- like, the, the Magic Online players are a minority at that point. You know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't do it at the height of Magic Online... Uh, yeah. population it would be you know a year or two after arena supports all this most people are playing on it and it would kind of just go out as a whimper as a footnote definitely friday afternoon uh during some <laughs> big event they're gonna post something on their website and then it'll go out with a whimper like that so i i think that i think that what would happen is, from wizard's perspective you're probably right that they would just announce it and that would be it as far as compensation maybe they would do something as far as like giving players something on arena that would be a possibility to compensate them in that direction like i think wasn't there something with duels of the planeswalker you got something with arena maybe it was nope, just getting into nothing. the beta early you, you got, got nothing at nothing. all Ugh. people were very upset and and arena and on duels of the planeswalker you spend like ten dollars when there's people that have ten thousand dollars of 
of Magic Online cards. But I think that really what Wizards would hope would happen would be that the economy would naturally become devalued thanks to less and less people playing, uh, thanks to things like treasure chests, which are bringing down the prices of cards. So I think Wizards' hope would be that players naturally migrate over to Arena to the point where cards on Magic Online just slowly get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, so your $10,000 collection is maybe a $1,000 collection, and then maybe there won't be as big of a fuss when they finally did just pull the plug. Yeah, and I would expect Redemption to go first. The minute you see Redemption turned off is the minute you should start panic selling, I think. Like, they would cut the ties to the paper economy and then slowly start shutting that down. So I, I think they can't do that as long as Redemption is going. Also, like, we are infinitely far away from that right now. Like, we don't even have non-standard formats on Arena yet. So we're, yeah. uh, if you're a Magic Online player, we're talking years and years and years. From everything they've said, we're not anywhere close to having real modern on Arena, let alone even uh, just the Arena version of modern will probably be a year from now with the next rotation. So that's, we're talking decent ways in the future. All right. Alden B4610. Seth, how do you feel about others taking screenshots while playing against you and publishing them on Twitter or Reddit? Do you feel this is morally similar to ghosting? Uh, I think it's, uh, if something cool happens and people want to post about it, I, I think it's awesome. Like, it doesn't bother me at all. I, I noticed that happened when I made a whole bunch of tokens with March of the Multitudes and someone posted on Reddit and I thought it was neat, so. How long before you start trolling people? <laughs> with just random things like, oh, what deck is Seth building this week? <laughs> Seth was just playing random cards. He was playing Momir Basic. JC Thacker 21, do you think Wizards will move away from boosters as the basic currency of Magic? What if they sold complete sets to distributors instead? Uh, I think Wizards went, makes way too much money with the original loot box mode to ever move away from boosters. Yeah, I don't think they would ever do that. I mean, they, they could they could have sold complete sets since the beginning of time. But they, they never did. And the only way they remove, they move away from boosters is laws. Like, if enough countries are like, okay, loot boxes are banned, including the original loot boxes in paper, <laughs> Magic the Gathering, then I think, you know, wizards would have to change. But until that happens, I think they're pretty happy with, uh, loot boxes. Uh, JC Thacker21, also, would you ever pay to watch two pro teams compete in an exhibition like pay-per-view magic all players play against each other in two or three formats best of five uh, i guess it would depend on how much the pay-per-view was i could imagine spending a small amount of money for that if it was like 70 dollars or 100 dollars or whatever it is to get like a boxing match or something i don't think i would spend that amount of money but if it was five dollars or something i would I would probably do it. I would pay money to watch pros play casual formats. Like, I, I wouldn't pay money to watch them play standard or something, right? But I would pay, like, five bucks if you got, say, like, Peach Garden Oath to play a game of Commander. Or <laughs> if they were playing uh, Silver Border Draft or, you know, just weird things like that. Even, like, Rochester drafting beta was, like, pretty interesting, right? But just anything outside the usual competitive formats because we get so much of that. But Magic is so much more than that and we never see our favorite personalities playing in those formats. So having like a $5 pay-per-view event to have them play Commander would be hilarious. <laughs> Next question. Jay Shrewd card idea. Fetch land that only fetches basics from outside the card game. Still comes into play 
untapped with loss of life, but none of that shuffling delay. I actually posted, uh, not the basic land restriction, but I posted something very similar on Twitter, uh, and because that gets around the shuffling problem, basically. If you had lands in your sideboard or whatever, and you could get lands that way with fetch lands, and w- someone from Wizards said that they had considered it, but they had decided against it. So it's, I know it's something that has crossed Wizards' mind, but for whatever reason, they, they don't seem interested in going that direction right now. But why? It solves everything. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll we'll do a flip land that flips into a checklist <laughs> that could be <laughs> one of five basics. Uh, but that that does seem like an elegant solution. So I'm surprised they said they tried it and they didn't like it because it it gives you everything you want with fetching without the shuffling. What if what if you had a land that was a fetch land, but it was pay one life, sacrifice it transform when it transforms into whatever like a flooded strand would be an island or a, a plains mm, i mean yeah that's you fine get, get rid of the shuffling the problem is you can't get any color you want though it's just a dual land that's that's true but the power the power of fetch lands is you can fetch any number of dual lands and thus you have the perfect mana base and a lot of the power is the shuffling too at least in older formats Okay, and then all lands have a zero ability that you can shuffle your library anytime. <laughs> no, okay, I got it. I got it. It has landfall, and then when landfall happens, you can trigger the shuffle ability. <laughs> oh, then we just built fetches again, sort of. <laughs> yeah, that's how you reprint fetches, okay? Uh, Lulu MTG. Oh, we talked about this. Uh, he wanted to talk about... He or she wanted to talk about the lack of... Grand Prix in Latin America. So we already touched upon this, and yeah, I hope Wizards actually addresses it. Vico, Elo, what are your favorite decks to start with uh, in New Standard? So I already said I'm going to go mono red. Seth, what's your go-to deck for New Standard? Oh man, I've been jumping around, but lately, I, I this sounds uh, sacrilegious, but I've been addicted to the Experimental Frenzy red deck the last few days. It's, it just draws so many cards. It shouldn't do that in mono red. So how long until we see a modern version featuring Blood Moons? <laughs> oh, probably pretty soon. That could work. <laughs> All right, last question. Katie Chillian, I want to start a modern collection, but only have 20 euros per month to invest in new cards. Where should I start? Um, jeez. Probably the Shocklands. So, yeah. Right, since uh, they're Shockland, in standard now and they're relatively cheap, you can pick up to I, start building your mana base. I mean, the downside is if that is the correct investment. The downside is you don't really get to play with them. It's kind of like Magic Arena, where I always tell people, like, oh, you should really be getting the rare lands. And they're like, well, but I want to play Magic and play cool cards. I, I don't care about having these rare lands. <laughs> but I think if you're trying to just build a collection and you're not concerned with playing right away, I think the Shock Lands is the right choice. If you want to be playing, too, maybe start with a budget deck that you can play and then slowly add $20 a month uh, a month to that until you end up with a tier version of the deck. All right, that's all our fish mail for this week. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions in the future, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MDG Fish Mail. 
And I think, unless we have anything else, that that brings us to the end of episode 192 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, uh, Richard, thanks for hanging out. It's always fun. Chris, good luck on your travels. We will see you next week. Thanks to everyone for listening. And one last time on the way out the door, shout out to the sponsor of today's show, Spikes Academy. Check them out, spikesacademy.com, 10% off with the cold goldfish. So, again, thanks to all you, and this is the crew signing out. 